live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more, so we definitely want to interact with you, so head on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Podchaser. Drop a five-star review while you're there. Check out the Tee Public store and so much more. And always remember to use the hashtag odphpod. Kicking off the entertainment edition of the podcast this week, we have to recap Arguably the panel's favorite show right now on CW. Uh-huh. Well, I think on CW is a On no CW, brainer. yes, it's a lock. But for right now, it is dominating our topics of discussion in our chats with our ODPH Society, everybody outside it, because this show is clicking on all cylinders. It's showing no signs of slowing down. It's also not afraid to go some places. It goes a lot of places that we'd never thought we'd see on the CWDC Comics universe. But yet, Superman and Lois is pulling it off flawlessly. Mm-hmm. Tyler Hoechlin and Elizabeth Tolick have been playing Superman and Lois brilliantly and modernizing characters that we have known for many, many years. Yeah. And this is the trick of the show. Oh, yeah. Because if you have characters that have been around for as long as they have, mm-hmm. it's hard to give a fresh take to them yeah. without trying to go a little too over the top. Yeah, and, and let's face it, everyone has varying degrees of how much they like Superman and, and Lois, but I think everyone at some point or somewhere inside them has a favorite pair that has played the, those two characters. Uh, and, and these two are doing it brilliantly and making a serious push to be number one in my book. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're making a definite run for being the defendant of Superman and Lois. And that is a high praise considering the amazing actors they are thrown yes. in the conversation with. Yes. We have to remember that. And for what they've done in such a short amount of time, it really needs to be astonished because we are only eight episodes into their work. I know they did the crossover episode, sure, but right. that doesn't really count. This one is literally on their shoulders as they're carrying it through, along with Jordan Elsass and Alex Garifin, who play their sons, Jonathan and Jordan Kent, respectively. They have added a family dynamic to Superman that we've seen a little bit in the comics, mm-hmm. but not to this level. No. And definitely one that is more relatable in the comics, per se, or than the comics. Yeah. Because Superman is always considered to be perfect, no real flaws. Yeah, I mean, and it's hard for people to relate, you know, because, well, as far as I know, none of us can fly. None of us can throw objects halfway across the planet. None of us can shoot, you know, uh, lasers out of our eyes. None of us can see through walls or fly at supersonic speeds. So to relate to that character is a little tough, but when you add the family dynamic like they have and some of the topics and and stuff they've gotten into, it makes it a lot more relatable. Yeah, I think the closest we've seen to that is Coach Duffy after the last New York Knicks game against Atlanta. He was throwing stuff across yeah, the room all over the place. Yeah, Wish we had the videotape of that. We heard about that, though. But that's the time for another day. But for right now, we definitely want to recap the latest episode entitled Holding a Wrench, which just came out. Pat and I got a lot of thoughts on this. We definitely want to interact with you. But if you haven't seen the episode for whatever reason, 
Okay, cool. Watch it now. Pause this podcast and then jump back in the conversation because Pat and I are going to start deep diving in three, two, one. Pad, holding a wrench, what did you think? I thought it was a really great episode. Really surprised at some of the places they went with the story, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just I once they got into some of the topics and some of the stuff in the episode, I went, wow, I didn't expect this from this show. Uh, but it was great overall. This was arguably Elizabeth Tulick's strongest episode. Uh-huh. Bar none. And she definitely took the character of Lois and went into a lot of different directions and really showed us a different side of her. Yes. Because it opens up where she's meeting with a therapist. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a little surprised to see that yeah. we have kind of touched upon this a little bit in the comics with uh, Heroes in Crisis. Yep. But not to, the, not to that level. That's no. a whole different ballgame. No. But in dealing with mental health. And obviously with superheroes and being involved mm-hmm. in that world, you know that mental health is a very big deal. And going to see a therapist, there's nothing wrong with that. No. So as we see that she's meeting with Dr. Wiles, played by Wendy Crewson. Mm-hmm. So they're having a little history because Lois's father had helped her out in, the, in times past. So yeah. there is a connection there. And Lois is just recapping, okay, what has been going on. And there has been a lot going on with her. Yeah, I mean, it's a very surprising side to see from her just because to this point, Elizabeth Tulloch has played kind of the classic Lois Lane we're familiar with. The tough, no BS, get to the bottom of things no matter what she has to do while also protecting her family. So to see this side of her, it's it's new, but it's it's very good to see. It is absolutely great to see this side of Lois because it just shows that she's not just Lois Lane, amazing reporter, oh yeah, strong character. No, she has flaws that... It's just interesting to see that side is brought out because, like we touched upon, you don't see that in comics a lot. No. And you don't see that on the shows a lot. Just the toll it takes from being in this environment that is right. a superhero world. Right. Well, and you'd also think that, like, being the wife of Superman, you'd think things are pretty hunky-dory for her. Like, he can get her anything she wants. You know, oh, honey, can you can you run to France? I'm craving a, a croissant from, from France. Oh, can you, honey, can you run to, you know, Japan? I'm, I'm craving some, you know, sake. You know, oh, honey, can you run to the UK? I'm craving some uh, some tea and crumpets. Like, he can literally get her anything at the drop of a hat, and yet things aren't all that bright and sunshiny as you might seem. Right, and obviously dealing with the effects of John Henry Irons, mm-hmm. her husband from an alternate timeline, Yeah, which Wally Park's absolutely crushing the role still, uh, has definitely taken a toll on her as well because she knows that this mysterious stranger has come to Earth with the prophecy that her husband, Clark Kent, a.k.a. Superman, is going to destroy the world mm-hmm. and is the real threat to all humanity. Yep. And dealing with the emotional fallout of just getting all that information brought to her attention and going through his memories via when they confiscate his RV slash spaceship. Uh, yeah. It, which is still kind of it's still kind of weird to see, but hey, it's comics. You got to roll he, he with it. He had to pay extra for that. Yes. So as we see, Superman is going to interrogate him, so he takes off for the episode. Yep. We see Jordan is still dealing with the ramifications of his super hearing still coming into effect, mm-hmm. so he's taken off the board a little bit. So Jonathan Kent, the only other quote-unquote human as of right now, yeah. is saying they're saying, Mom, how can I help you out? Because the deal is now there's no more secrets amongst the Kents. Yeah. Everything is on the table. Everything's out in the open. We all know everything. There is no more secrets, but it does not leave the family dynamic. Right. Well, and you got to figure, other than saving his brother's butt a couple times, getting a broken hand, and ending his 
football career potentially. Mm-hmm. He he's got to feel getting left on the sidelines a little bit, you know, no pun intended. Where dad's going off and having all these adventures and fighting around the world, and and my brother's getting to pal around with him and learn like, all these super like. Obviously, his brother knows that's not all sunshine and daisies. You know, like listen, this is tough. This is a struggle. I'm going through some real nasty crap right now. But you know, Jonathan doesn't know that. He just like he just sees, oh, my brother is getting to go off with my dad and get superpowers, and mom's doing her own thing, and I'm just going to school and being a kid. Yes. So now is a finally a chance he can get out of his brother's shadow and get some attention brought back to him because yeah. he's feeling left out, obviously, with being the only one in the family not really involved in the superhero yep. life per yep. se. But as Lois and Jonathan go onto the RV, they do trigger off the alarm, and Lois's voice is the one that can turn it off right away. Mm, convenient. Yes, and then we see that they wind up flipping over the couch into the television station, which seems like something out of the eighties. It was so eighties. I love yeah. how you brought that up too, because it just reminded me just of like Mission Impossible yeah. and just one of those like cheesy eighty yeah. shows where all of a sudden you hit a button and all of a sudden oh the bookcase goes away and we have all the computer monitors. Yeah, it was so TV campy, but it was pulled off well. So I couldn't help but laugh a little bit. But I'm like, you know what? I get it. Not mad at it yeah, at all. Yeah. And during this, they start seeing some footage of John's life on his other planet. Yep. So you start seeing flashes of his daughter they left behind. You then start seeing about the Superman clips of him taking over that world. Mm-hmm. And just they're now getting firsthand exposure of what John Henry Irons' motives are because yeah. he's not doing this. In an evil manner. No, and he's not exactly showing them all the cards he's holding. No, he's definitely not, because it's not his place to just go, okay, I'm just going to come into the earth and... I'm going to trust you. I'm just going to trust you, even though you look like my wife that was killed. He wants to trust her so badly, though. Oh, he does. He definitely does. You see the connection is there, but he is just scared to go and just fully go in about it because he knows what happened in his world. Yeah, like he extends his hand, so to speak, you know, almost the entire way there, like 95% of the way there. And then just as she's about to extend her hand that last little bit to get them to you know trust each other, he pulls it back and goes, nope. No. So he's still in the custody of the DOD. General Lane is interrogating him, albeit on some very questionable methods. Like, I told you you don't trust this man. Exactly. So they pulled Clark in there to watch because he wants to find out as much information as he can. And Irons is not backing down. He was, that, was that the only one getting like a Christian Bale, uh, Heath Ledger vibe off of this thing, but with like a lot less tension? Yes and no. Like, initially, yes. But I know with Superman, I just did not feel like he would walk in there and be as brooding as Batman, no matter how I figured he'd be a little brooding, but I wasn't expecting him to, like, start slamming heads on tables. I was kind of waiting to see him actually just snap and do something, because he. the one problem you have with Clark Kent is you know what he's bringing to the table, and you know that he's not going to go to that level that Batman does unless he is really... Pissed off. Like, pissed. Because he shows so much restraint of his powers... Because he knows, copying Uncle Ben Parker, yeah. with great power comes great responsibility. Well, I mean, it's like you heard in the Justice League uh, animated series. I think it was Justice League Unlimited. They're like He's like, I got to take special care. I have to constantly walk through the world as if it were cardboard. Yes, because he knows if he loses control of his powers, the trust he has with the people of the oh, Earth yeah. it's gone. is gone. So he has to, no matter how much he might want to let go. And as he's sitting there, Irons is still saying about how he's a threat and he has no idea what's coming. And then alludes to there's more Kryptonians mm-hmm. 
in this world. Which is news to Clark. It's news to Clark. It's a complete mind-blowing revelation because he is going, how do you know this? What are you talking about? Is that, do they not, Do they know about the cave uh, kryptonite at this point yet? I don't think they know about it still. The only one that knows is Irons, I think. Right, yeah. He's the only one that knows about it. Lois knows something's going on in those caves, but she doesn't know what yet. Yeah, she doesn't know the full details. Right, and obviously she shares everything with Clark, so he doesn't know. Yeah, he doesn't know. And I will say there is one more aspect of the show, though. I, I have to give him a little uh, minus grade about this. Sure. How has Iron still not put it together that Clark is Superman? I mean, listen, people have been wondering that for like 80 years. I know, I know. It's just, it's still getting to me about this because I know when they kind of played it off later. Only thing I can think is that he doesn't have, he's, he's basing everything he knows in this world off of his world, even his interactions with General Lane, you know, Lois, everybody. He's interacting with, he's basing it off of that. My guess is that there was no Clark on his earth, so he doesn't know. So he's like, oh, that's this unknown person that I didn't meet and was probably dead before I came around with an, on my earth. So that's why he's not putting two and two together. Mm-hmm. That might be the case. It's just it's still something at this point. It's like, how have you not figured out when your obsession with Superman is at this level? I mean, listen, Lex Luthor didn't figure it out for like 80-some odd years. Yeah, but you know, Lex, Lex was Lex. Lex probably was like, I don't even care who he is. Maybe. That's just how Lex is. But I digress. That's the one little knock I have on this whole dynamic with Irons and Superman. It's just how do you not know who it is? But they still have that little game of chess where nobody's revealing their hands just yet. Meanwhile, back at the Kent farm, Jonathan gets back in the RV. Yeah. Without Lois. Yeah. And he winds up busting into Irons' weapon... Attaché? Safe. Safe. It's like a safe something added on where like it's like a vault. Yeah, it, it's this whole different compartment that is hidden completely away from everybody. For so, very good reasons. Yes, for very good reasons. Because after Jonathan sees the footage of Superman killing Lo- Lois from that planet, right. he really starts investigating because now he's feeling like, what is really happening here? What is going on? Have I been lied to about this? Like, right. it's, it's a lot for a teenage kid to Oh, it, God, yeah. Especially when it's... You know, you have this image and like how you view your your father. You know, no matter if your father's Superman or not. So he's got this mental image and how he views his father, and to see essentially his father killing his mother, even if it's another Earth, because they eventually explain to him multiverse and other Earths and all this. But at this point, he still doesn't know what it is. So he's looking at the footage, going, "Wait a minute, this is my father killing my mother." But they're still here. What the heck? I, this doesn't compute. No, it definitely doesn't. So as he starts getting up and he starts going through, and like I say, he sees all the weapons around. And like I say, for me, it was like kind of like, hmm, he's really keeping this hidden very quietly. Like, it's, yeah. attache is not the right word, but it's a whole weapons gallery that they have. Guns. Lots of guns. Yes. And as he picks one up, he triggers the alarm Yep. in the RV. And as yeah. he's trying to do his voice recognition, and nothing happens. Oh, well, yeah. Well, except the lasers come out on him and are ready to point. So yeah. as everything is shutting down, he's screaming for help. Yeah. And luckily, Superman gets the signal that something's happening. He flies in at the last second to save the day. The bullets are going off, and Jonathan is saved. But Lois's reaction to this, mm-hmm. she absolutely loses it. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, and it's more than just the simple parent being pissed at the kid you know, for climbing a tree when he shouldn't have and almost breaking, on, breaking a limb. She just goes postal on the kids, screaming at him, screaming at him, and, and yelling at him, and get away from me! Don't get, don't get near me! And even Clark, once she's done yelling at him, goes, "I'd ask if you're okay, but I know the answer, and you're not." Yes, 
And it was something at the time was very left field. Yeah. Because this seemed like like I, I like we get the frustration, we get the anger, but this is so much more than just your average anger. Right. And at the time, like I say, when you're watching, you're going, "Okay, whoa, she is really overacting about this." Like normal things that happen in this world, sure. you know, there's life-saving moments, but she is just really losing her cool about this. And as we go more into the episode, this is where everything really turns mm-hmm. into the more dramatic roles. And how they handled this, I thought was very well. I thought it was very tasteful. Yes. Is Lois starts divulging about her miscarriage. Yeah. About she had a daughter picked out, the name Natalie. Yeah. And how she lost her and just how everything has still been hovering over her about this. Yeah, she so. thought she was over it and she thought she was past it, but she's not. And she's not the type to kind of like take a step back and, and pull things off of her plate to kind of focus that she adds more and more onto her plate to kind of keep her focus on the thing that's troubling her. But she just really opens up about it. Yes. And this was, like I say, Elizabeth Tulick absolutely was phenomenal in this role. Yeah. And she really handled this with all the sensitivity to the subject uh-huh. and just pulled it off very, very well. So she did an amazing job with this. And this, you understand about how she almost lost another child, how this just reacts to her. Yeah. This is what she's explaining to her therapist. And just how she's been dealing with this the entire time. It was just such a powerful scene. Oh, my God, yeah. It just really established, okay, why Lois was acting the way she was during this show. And then to go back to the Superman story, you see him go back to the DOD. Mm-hmm. And you see that General Lane is really pushing for more aggressive tactics to get information out of irons to which they basically say, we're going to take him to another area of the DOD and more or less torture him until they get something out of him. Yep. Which Clark is very, very much against because where they're taking him to general lane says, you can't go. Yeah. Which is odd. It's odd, but it does make sense because don't trust the man. Well, you can't trust general lane. He is not proven. Even if he is the father-in-law, it's still not coming across. Well, that you can't trust him because he ultimately sees Superman as a threat. He's now being used as a weapon, but he still is a threat. Oh yeah, he's always he's obviously always had it in in the back of his mind that like, oh, I've got to keep one eye on him at all times because, you know, Lord knows what could happen and he could flip the script and go off on everybody. And now you have this guy in your custody who is just confirming his fears and his his nervousness about the whole situation and is just stoking that fear even further. Yes, absolutely. Dylan Walsh, he plays him very, very well as he's trying to be the tough commander here to save the world. And he turns him over to soldiers. So as they're walking away, though, there are this little interaction between Trask and Rossetti. Those are the two soldiers. Yep. And they're more or less trying to act very tough around Irons, the prisoner. Mm -hmm. Until you see that... Trask is really saying, okay, we're going to torture him. You know, I said, let me have him. I'm going to, you know, have 10 minutes with him. We'll, we'll get the information out of him. Yeah, well, Ro- you knew what he was going to do. Yeah, and Rosetti was like, no, nah, I don't think that's going to happen. He's going to go back to his cell. Yes. And he's saying, no, no, I'm going to take him. And Rosetti goes, no, no, you're not. And then immediately smashes so him. Ragdolls him. Ragdolls him through the walls. Good Lord. In a very powerful moment. So everything that Irons has been talking about of a possible Kryptonian invasion has been a little more deep-rooted than anybody has thought. Yeah, and uh, I realize I'm no medical doctor. I have no degree. I am not well-versed in or uh, qualified to diagnose or what happened to that individual who got swung into a wall, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say uh, he did. Oh, yeah, he was killed. They, they mentioned that very quick on the show, but just how brutal it was, too. 
as they're taking him further, further into that area of the base. Yeah. Which Superman just finally says, I don't care what's down there. I'm going to find out what's happening. Hmm. And as he goes down there, lo and behold, this is the area where they're experimenting with kryptonite. Well, because doesn't General Lane tell him, finally tell him what it is? He's like, listen, you can't go there because there's various kryptonite weapons that we're experimenting with. He didn't want to come out and say kryptonite right away. He was dancing around it, and then yeah. finally Clark goes, it's kryptonite. Yeah. Like, he put it together, yeah. and Lane is like, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. And Clark is still sitting there like, you really have a, a weapons at case of kryptonite? Mm-hmm. And he's like, we do what we need to do here, Clark. Yeah. It is what it is. And yeah. I and I think that Clark has to accept that, that no matter how much good he's done, yeah. there's still going to be some pushback that he is going to be eventually taking over the world. Right. Well, I mean, as much as it sucks, it's kind of justified just because, like you said, he's good and all handy hunky-dory now, but you just don't know. Right. Because... And, and you'd be foolish, you know, as much as I love Superman, favorite superhero... You would be foolish to not have something set aside for just such an occasion. Why do you think Batman carries extra kryptonite just hanging around him? Why do you think Batman has an entire fi- has an entire set of files on his computer on how to beat everyone in the Justice League, including himself? Well, he's over paranoid. Well, yeah. but but for Superman, I understand. Like I, I've never had an issue with him carrying the kryptonite because Batman is arguably the DC universe's most highly elevated form of a human yeah because he's trained his body and his mind to be the most durable and toughest it can be he's the smartest person in the room that ain't a god exactly yeah he's and he's not doing this a la deathstroke yeah has a serum in him yeah this is just him being the utmost of physical perfection you can be so it's obviously going to be the toughest challenge for somebody to corrupt him yeah so that's why he has a kryptonite there. But yeah, he's just paranoid about everybody else in the DCU. True. Yes, which I mean has made for some great comics over the years too. Let great, me tell great you, great movies too. Oh, great movies! Uh, as if well. you can check out, uh, I believe it's Justice League Doom. Uh, go check it out. It's an awesome movie. Oh, fantastic movie! But then we see that when Superman goes down and finds uh, Lieutenant Rossetti, mm-hmm. Rossetti is waiting for him with a gas mask on. Yep. And what does he trigger, Pad? Uh, he triggers a whole bunch of... Well, well, at first, doesn't he shoot like a kryptonite gas canister at yep. or something? Which, can I just say, for being made of kryptonite, uh, General Lane, you might want to work on your strength or dosage. It didn't seem like it worked all that well. Well, I don't think he has any idea what's going on. I right. think he's just letting the scientists run crazy, which right. is always bad, but right. it's but, and, Well, and I know General Lane said later that, like, oh, it's meant to, like, oxidize your in- you from the inside out and... It really hamper you. And I'm like, it really, if that's the case, it's not doing well because as slow as that was taking and as much fight as he had in him, heaven forbid, he could do some real damage before that stuff takes effect. The only thing I thought during this scene, though, is has Superman developed maybe a tolerance to a degree mm, over the years maybe. for kryptonite? I mean, it still maybe. will kill him. Maybe. But just at how much of a dosage. Maybe. And I know there's a lot of science involved with this. That's the only thing I thought I was like. Maybe. Because usually Kryptonite hits him right away, and yeah. he's, he struggles. He, 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 which he kind of dropped to a knee. He did, you know, take a few steps back. But, no, it didn't affect him as much as it should have, which I kind of just chalked it up to, you know, the Kryptonite being diluted a, a couple times just to get it from a solid state to a gaseous state mm. that it's maybe not – maybe it's just not as effective in a gas, gaseous state. That, that's kind of what I chalked it up to. Yeah, it's just something about the degrees of it. And like I said, it's more of a scientific question. But for what it needed to do on the show, it truly established it as a, yeah. a weapon because the room is gassing up. Superman is getting sick, but he's fighting through it. Yeah. 
And then lo and behold, he does get an assist from Irons, who has a kryptonite spear. Yeah. Which is very, very interesting. Quick, where's Doomsday? Yeah, which I just sat there. I'm like, oh, God, please, nobody yell Martha. Where's, why'd you say that name? I was waiting on that. I was like, no, please don't say Martha. Please don't say Martha. But no, Irons winds up stabbing Rossetti. Yep. Killing him. Yep. And stopping the invasion. But then he's got one shot on Superman who's weakened. Yeah, and he, and, and he even says to him, you know, all back on your earth, you know, I killed a lot of Kryptonians, with, and this was my favorite weapon to use. Yes, but before he does it, Lois winds up so making a save. Guilty, uh, as always, the villains are, monologuing too much. Yep, but she winds up talking some reason into him and thus uh, stopping the threat. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting, i got to admit. Yeah. Because the resolution of this is he was set free. Yeah. Which I was very, very surprised at mm-hmm. because it just seemed too comic booky. Yeah. If I can use that term. Yeah. Because you just had this prisoner who wasn't giving you any information, but has been saying about there's a war coming to happen with a secret army of Kryptonians. Right. And the DOD is just letting him walk. Yeah. Unless this is going to turn out to be something where they bugged the RV. That's my guess. Because they had to do something. That's my guess. There's no way the DOD let a guy like him of his stature and threat go without something being planned. Yes. And as they're saying, they're just putting an amount of faith into him that he is going to do the right thing. Well, I mean, let's face it. He knows where Lois is. Yeah. He knows where her family is. And it's like a, it's like a bit of trust between... Clark, between Clark, Superman, and him that, like, listen, and I think this is part of what finally convinced him that, like, this Earth's Superman isn't his Earth Superman. He had, like, a dozen times over, he could have just snapped his neck and cut him in two. Mm-hmm. He didn't. He had all the opportunity in the world to really stop him and really knock him into orbit, and he didn't. And that, coupled with Lois, who he clearly trusts, it's yep. just he never could get over that hump to fully trust her. He finally got over that hump and goes, listen, all right, you trust him enough. I'm. Tr- I trust you. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give you a chance. Yes. Yeah, so as he drives off and thus erases the Captain Luthor identity. Yeah. So now he's back to John Irons. He's going to travel the world. Now, yeah. what's he gonna do? I don't know. We'll see him sooner than later, though. But I thought it was kind of a very telling thing that this is how they resolve their story. Yeah. And Lois does have an emotional moment where she apologizes to Jonathan, and explains everything that goes on. So they had a very cool heart-to-heart moment to really sum up the episode. And then take us into next week. I know that the Jordan story I didn't really touch upon, but it was just kind of more teenage drama. Yeah. That obviously he is sitting there trying to help Sarah out. And yep. Sarah's dad didn't show up. Kyle yeah. Cushing's has been so obsessed with trying to get in the graces of Morgan Edge. Yeah. That he has just completely blown her off. Yeah. He even got a job offer from Morgan Edge uh, that was given to him or offered to him through his wife. But she didn't say anything to him, which kind of. The job offer went out the window, and he got pissy about that. Yeah, it was just kind of like a weird setup for what's going to happen down the road because we all know that Morgan Edge is taking employees. Yep. And he's experimenting on them. Uh-huh. So, Which ain't exactly ethical or legal. No, but it's comics, and it's a villain. True. Made perfect sense to me. But overall, though, this episode, one of the more stronger emotional ones that you've yes. seen. Yes, And like I said, Elizabeth Tullock absolutely just crushed it in this role yeah and just really handling the delicate manner that was brought up in the therapist meeting oh yeah and you really saw a side of lois lane that we haven't seen before. yeah and that's that was what i was referring to when i when i was surprised that they were handling some of the subject matter they were because once she divulged what was going on and, and what happened with the miscarriage i i was very surprised in a good way that i was like oh wow i didn't think they would go here with this yeah and i think that going back to what we said about the beginning of the segment 
they are taking a lot of different looks at the dynamic of Superman and Lois and the family that we haven't really seen too much in the comics. Right. For various reasons. That obviously the family hasn't been that big and we haven't really seen this side of Lois and Clark per se other than what they've had to do with Jonathan Kent who at this stage is Superboy in the comics. Yeah. So this is a little different, like I say, a little different scenario that we've seen but it's still coming off so well and it's reminding you about... Yes, yeah, Superman is the ultimate Boy Scout. He's considered perfect. He's considered the greatest superhero in all of all time from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But you're showing flaws in him. And you're seeing that Lois, who has always been the strong character, has flaws too. And is just dealing with a lot of emotional events that still really we haven't seen in this manner before. But how they portrayed it was very delicate. It was very tasteful. And they did it so, so well. I can't stress this enough. If you're not watching this show, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Even you can watch it on a replay. I know a lot of us watch NXT on USA on Tuesday nights. Uh You can tape that and then watch this or vice versa. But either way, you need to start watching this show because this show is just hitting all the marks, direct bullseyes. And we got only about six episodes left for the first season. Mm -hmm. I believe there's only 15. I believe so, yeah. So we're eight episodes in now. The show is really, really something to watch. And if you are a Superman fan, you need to check this show out because they're doing great twists. They're adding different layers to the characters that we haven't seen in the comics. And it's a fun, fun show to check out and see a different take on Superman that will definitely leave you happy. And it's this good, and they haven't even gotten real deep into the rogues gallery yet. No, they've handled Just the saying. rogues very, very smoothly. Just like, saying. Considering that we've only gotten a touch of a Luthor mm-hmm. just by a name. Yep. And we haven't even deep-dived into anything else, but we're slowly no. setting up. I know Coach Duffy on Twitter, at Coach Duffy 11 was saying he feels Zod is going to appear by the end of the show. Mm, maybe. I don't know, but I mean, my, my wild take right now, I think Kyle becomes Zod. Ooh. That I think that he does get experimented on and something ha- weird mm, happens there. Mm, maybe. I'm going to just throw that out there, but... They've been known to take odd takes with the Superman mythos, case in point, most of Smallville. Yes. So whatever they're going to do, it's going to be a really interesting take so far, but they've shown that they can really handle the mythos and really run some directions with it that definitely in, just captivate you as a viewer. But we gave you our takes, but now we want to know yours. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Superman and Lois, Episode 8, entitled Holding the Wrench? We definitely want to have that conversation. What do you think about the series in general? We know our guy Dre Driven, shout out to Dre, loves this show as much as we do. But what do you guys think? We definitely want to have that conversation. So hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Have you ever found yourself confused about the current state of the MCU or whatever the hell is happening with the DC universe? Do you often have no idea what the hell the difference is between craft beer and that butt ice stuff at the gas station? Well, then look no further. We present to you Hops Geek News. We're yet another geek and beer podcast in an already oversaturated market. All right, all right. We drink and we pretend we know things. More often than not, we don't really know things, but we do talk some really great topics and we most definitely can drink. We'll deliver you news and then dive into any random topic you might have never knew you actually were passionate about. With lots of fun facts about beer. And from Marvel to DC and Star Wars, and to why Die Hard is most definitely a Christmas movie. Which it is. Basically anything that our spouses are sick of hearing us talk about. Join us on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 
new episodes weekly. Just search Hops News. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast and dropping this Friday uh-huh. on Netflix. Uh-huh. Pad, what time? Uh, 3 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, f- Google it and figure out what time it is in your neck of the woods. Yes. Is going to be the DC Comics adaptation of the Virgo classic Sweet Tooth, written by Jeff Lemire. Okay. Now, if anybody is not familiar with this, it is something you definitely want to go check out. Okay. This is a long-standing classic in Vertigo, and it's the story about a young boy named Gus, who is a half-human, half-deer, because of a virus that has taken over and really caused some adaptations to the human uh, genome. Yes. So, obviously, the civilization has crumbled a little bit, and he is one of the survivors that is trying to find his way in this very crazy world. So he's half here, half de- or half human, half deer. Yeah, I was sad to read the synopsis provided to us by the wonderful folks over at Netflix. Uh, it reads, quote, 10 years ago, the Great Crumble wreaked havoc on the world and led to uh, the mysterious emergence of hybrids. Uh, that's babies born part human, part animal. Unsure if hybrids are the cause or result of the virus, many humans fear and hunt them. After a decade of living safely in his secluded forest home, a sheltered hybrid deer boy named Gus, uh, played by Christian uh, Convery, uh, unexpectedly befriends a wandering loner named Shepard, played by Nunso uh, Anozi. Uh, together, they set out on an extraordinary adventure across what's left of America in search of answers about Gus's origins, Shepard's past, and the true meaning of home. But their story is full of unexpected allies and enemies, and Gus quickly learns the lush, dangerous world outside the forest is more co- complex than he ever could have imagined. Based on the DC comic written uh, comic book series uh, by Jeff Lemire, Sweet Tooth is executive produced by Jim Mickle, Beth Schwartz, some dude named Robert Downey Jr., hey. and Suzanne Downey, Amanda Burrell, and Linda Moran. Now, we did catch up on the trailer. The trailer looks very, very good, yeah. I, I have to admit. like yeah. To really tell the story... You know there's going to be absolutely a little wild dealing with a post-apocalyptic world, but you're seeing that the world that is painted here, it almost looks like fairy tale-esque. Yeah, well, and once you kind of get over the shock of, oh, my God, end of the world, apocalypse, which fairly common these days in books and movies and TV shows, uh, and then you kind of get over the shock of, whoa, that kid in the cradle or in the nursery or whatever it's called in the hospital has wings. Wait a minute, that kid looks like a goat. What the hell? And you kind of get over that shock. You kind of get into the plot. It actually looks kind of interesting. Yeah, it's definitely different. I mean, this is one thing that when we mention anything about Vertigo, and if you're not familiar with that amazing line of comics that was out in D.C. in the 90s, it was just the birthplace of mature readers' lines. And what I mean by this is not everything had to be so over-the-top for readers, but Mm -hmm. this is stuff that is... Definitely not meant for your typical superhero audience. This is when DC had really allowed creativity to roam free, in my opinion. Right. And you really got some stories that you can't really tell in a DC universe. You have Neil Gaiman's classic Sandman, which I think is like the cornerstone for the Mature Readers line. Like when right. that when that book came out, I mean, that one is just the, the pinnacle of what Mature Readers comics is all about. Then you had Garth Ennis' Preacher. And the list goes on and on and on throughout the run of Vertigo, which is now been rebranded as Black Label mm-hmm. for DC, and they still continue that stories. But now one thing I really like about that is they're allowed to dabble into the DC Comics universe. You see a lot of Batman stories with a Black Label on it. Right. And there's some of the most great-telling reads you'll find at the racks. But this book definitely is a fan favorite. 
And it does tie in a lot of fairy tale mythos with the post-apocalyptic vibe that you get from a Walking Dead per yeah, se. Yeah. But they do it in such a manner that it just really stood out to me watching the trailer. Because as we say, the trailer kicks off and you're seeing Gus running in this very lush, ravaging world that is not completely ashes. It's not. Yeah, dark. I would say it's not what you're used to from that kind of setting. Exactly. And you do see that there is what is the fallout from when the Great Crumble happens. And you're seeing just humanity lose its mind. I would say at its absolute worst. Yes, you're seeing uh, a plane uh, collide into a helicopter yeah. at one point. Yeah. You're seeing just, I blame Thanos. Yeah, you're just seeing a lot of just humanity just running crazy. Fires are breaking out. Just everybody is really going absolutely insane yeah. because of what is going on around them. And then there's the tagline during the trailer, which I thought really stood out, is the narrator is saying nature made everybody sick. Uh-huh. So that's where you get the vibe of how the humans are now taking this that, oh, well, this crumble is now causing these hybrids to be born. Uh-huh. And it's their fault. And yeah. you can kind of see how this is all playing out. And as you see, when Gus finally meets up with Jeopard and you have that that connection, it's it's a very cool moment that you've seen. Like we've seen this told in stories yeah. where somebody yeah. mentors a young child. It's the to hero's journey. Yeah. And, but they tell it in such a unique way for this that you don't really know what the story is just yet. Right. Like if you haven't read the comics, you're going to be kind of guessing a little bit of where they're going. Because at one point you see Gus gets a note saying about going to Colorado where they're going to uh-huh. save or is a place that's safe for hybrids. What is it about post-apocalyptic comic book stories? We're looking at you, Marvel. We're looking at you, DC and Colorado. Colorado is a beautiful place. That is true. I've been there. It's yeah. a wonderful place. Had a snowball fight there in July. You know, they do a lot of cool things out there. You know our guy Brian Wayne from Cheers Comics is a Colorado native. This is true. Shout out to him and definitely go check him out. And happy belated birthday as well since it happened a couple days ago. But we definitely shot you out on Twitter. I digress. We'll get right back to this. Books here, though. The show, the books, everything that is Sweet Tooth. Because you do get a lot of stuff jumping around and the imagery is very beautiful. It definitely is not your typical apocalyptic world. So this isn't Apocalypse by Dark Side. This isn't Walking Dead. This is just humanity is just evolving at a stage. And you're seeing just the growth of a character and how Gus really represents hope. Right. And I'm just I was completely blown away by how Convoy was playing him. Because you just get this vibe from him that he is just has that I, I or convoy, I should say, not convoy. Right. You get this vibe of him as he's just embracing this role and just really representing like what's good in a bad world. And just with everything going on, you don't see him losing. And even kind of they allude to that as saying, oh, you know, he's just so full of hope. It's just uncontainable. Yeah. And I think that it's just such a very cool balance to see in this in this show that I think when viewers finally get it on Friday, they're going to be hooked. Like this is going to be something that's going to definitely capture them. And this is just such a big win for Netflix, too, because as you're seeing that obviously when Marvel left uh-huh. with the Defenders universe, uh-huh. everybody was wondering how they were going to do about comics. Yeah. Me included. We know about the Sandman show coming out. Uh-huh. And we know that casting is coming out for it. I'm on board with everybody for casting. I think that show is going to be a slam dunk. I yeah. I don't I can't yeah. see that miscuing, especially with Neil Gaiman being hands-on with the project. This book, though, I think is going to be a sleeper hit of the summer. Yeah, but it could be. I think that there's just so much that people don't know about this book that unless you really have read this, you're going to be completely surprised at how this is pulled off because this isn't just your typical post-apocalyptic world, that this is something that is like a fairy tale brought to life and the setting has changed. It's very original, it's very fresh, and it's going to stand out. And I can't stress enough just about how the dynamic that we've seen just a little bit on screen with Convery mm-hmm. and Anozi. 
how that's going to play out. That I think that fans are going to be just talking about this for a while. And I think that once you get to Monday, after everybody's watching this, I think that you're going to have a lot of people asking for more books about this. Well, the, the tell will be, you know, when the trends update, you know, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the trends on Netflix for where you live and what people are watching. And, and that's what people are watching. It's not just they're clicking on it. It's they're watching it. That'll be the tell. You know, if it cracks top two, even number one, then, you know, okay, people are really into this. That'll, that'll be the tell. Yeah, which I hope it does, too, because to see independent comics, and I do treat Vertigo as an independent, I see if they can succeed, it does show those networks, the streaming services, that there is a place for this, that not everything has to be Marvel and DC. I know that DC owns this book because it's under the Virgo line, but still, you're not going to see Batman appear in this. You're not going to see Superman. You're not going to see any heroes. It would be kind of cool to see Batman in this world, I'm not going to lie. But this is going to stand on its own, and to show those streaming services and cable companies that there is a market for this, I think is huge. And the more that we support it, if it's a good book, and like I said, if you haven't read it, it's a very fun read. It's, it's very vital to get these eyes onto new pro- or to get these products onto new eyes is what I'm trying to say. Because like I say, everybody gets so hung up on the MCU and the DCU and Snyderverse that when you have something like this come out, and yeah, it's connected to DC, but it's not DC. Right. It's vital to get new eyes on this because that shows those networks, hey, let's take a shot with an independent comic and let's see how we run with. We've already seen Amazon has gotten it right, taking two shows yeah. that I I'll be honest. One I wish one I wasn't sure how they're gonna be able to pull it off, but it's one of the best shows out there, and that's the boys. Right. And then we just had Animated Invincible, which is absolutely fantastic. And then you see how sci fi had dabbled a little bit into it with Deadly Class, which I'm still not over. Mm-hmm. Never gonna be over that one. And Happy, yeah. which Happy is what happy was. They made happy for TV. They made happy for TV and it went two seasons. I call that a win. I mean, the fact that it went past season one, I think it was incredible. And happy is just a visual experience onto its own. Mm-hmm. But to give those independent books a voice and get them out to the masses, yeah, it's huge. And I think that this is just a great trend moving forward because, like I said, for Netflix especially, they do have one of the biggest franchises of independent comics going in the Umbrella Academy. Yeah. But to have them go and get the rights to Sandman, which is huge, to have Sweet Tooth, which, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is tagged to it, so you know he'll bring a fan base just on name alone. But once the first episode sells you, it's going to go from there. And I fully think this is going to be a big win. I'm definitely excited oh, about yeah. it. Oh, and, yeah. And especially for Netflix, it's always good to see them, you know, doing some great stuff. Because obviously with Disney+, Plus, you have the Star Wars stuff and you have the Marvel stuff coming down the pike. You know, so it's, it's, it's easy to market them. And then with the folks over at HBO Max, uh, you've got all this stuff with DC, you know, both mainline, the TV shows and stuff like that. You know, but Netflix is, is slowly finding this kind of like niche with like the independent comics and then also video game stuff. I mean, you look at they and especially some books like they took The Witcher and adapted that into a fantastic series. And you got spinoffs coming. Uh, they took Castlevania, the video game series, and made mm. that into a very successful, very popular anime series. I think that just went like six seasons or something like that. Absolutely bonkers. Uh, but you've also got them working on some other stuff. Uh, they just came out with the Dota Dragon's Blood, the animated series based off of the video game. They got the Resident Evil uh, project they're working on coming out. A couple of those. I know they're working on something. They're working on an Assassin's Creed series. They got one coming out about, oh, God, what's the name of it? Um, uh, the Division, okay. the, the Tom Clancy video game. They got something coming out with that. Netflix has got a real good niche going with like the independent comics and, and video game stuff. And it's smart to do because especially we talk about this all the time on the show. 
There's such a high level of competition for the streaming services with obtaining properties and really capitalize on getting them to a mass audience. Like there's mm-hmm. one thing about when we could talk about this going to the comic shop all day and people know down there because that's the fan base is going to gravitate and give you the opinions right away. Yeah. So to see more eyes on independent projects like this, it's a win-win. Yeah. And I think with the people involved with this show, and like I said, Robert Downey Jr.'s name brings in a lot of MCU fans mm-hmm. that would not pay attention to this otherwise. Well, and a lot of fans just period. Yeah, but especially for the MCU, that his name's tagged to this, they're going to give this a shot. It's a huge win, and he wouldn't back this if he didn't think it was a good project. And I know it's kind of been jumbled around when they finally got going about this, but we're here now. The series is done. Yeah. The comics, only about 40 issues, 40, 42, I believe. Yeah. But it's not to say they wouldn't bring this back if it wasn't for the right idea. But they do have a couple of seasons they could work off of if, they, if they're going to do that. I'm not exactly sure where this is going to go season one, season two, or is going to be one and done. Right. I, I don't know that just yet, but I think... And that all depends on how it does and how many people watch. Because if not a lot of people watch, they're not going to renew it for a second season. But if a ton of people watch it, then they'll do it. Yeah, it just all depends on what the reaction is going to be. And I think for fans that are looking for something new to watch, this is a perfect book to do. That I think that if you really want to tell something that hasn't, that hasn't been told in this manner before, I think this is going to be something worth checking out. Because like I say, it's visually impressive as all blazes. The story is solid if it's anything like the comic and from what we've seen from the trailer. I'm in about it. I'm definitely going to be checking it out on Friday. And like we say, if you're not familiar with the content, I'm going to give you some advice. Go to your local comic shop. Ask them about it. I'm sure they'll have a lot to say about Sweet Tooth. If you want a spoiler-free review, go check out our friends over at So Wizard Podcast on YouTube. They have a video up of a spoiler-free review of this. And definitely let us know what you think about this. Pad's excited about this. I'm excited about this. It's dropping this Friday on Netflix, Sweet Tooth. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts going into this after you watch it? Let's let's have that conversation as well. And what other independent comic do you think should be made into a show on Netflix? Let's have that survey, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do you love movies? I certainly do. Hi, Chris Roberts here, inviting you to listen to I Saw It on Linden Street, our weekly podcast dedicated to the joy of finding an appreciation in cult films, exploitation oddities, beloved classics, and all points in between. Join us for an informative deep dive into a film that we feel needs to be recognized, with background thrown in on actors, directors, and hey, if I'm doing my job right, you'll get a funny story out of me. So, join us here at I Saw It on Linden Street and listen today. Remember, folks, life's too short not to live in the past. Take it easy. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and we are now officially one week away. Uh Uh-huh. It feels like it's been forever already. Kind of. But we are now officially one week away from the MCU to return to Disney+. Plus. Yeah. So they've hit it out of the park with WandaVision. They've definitely nailed it with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or should I say Captain America and the Winter Soldier by this time? Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it by now, well, there's enough spoilers out there. I've already said enough. But we are finally returning with an old friend to the MCU. Yeah. And that is one Tom Hiddleston reprising his role as the god of mischief himself, Loki. So this show is going to be dealing with the ramifications of Avengers Endgame when Loki stole the Tesseract during the uh, initial time heist that was going on. 
So this is going to deal with the ramifications of that. I wish we knew there were going to be some. We definitely knew there was going to be, and we do know that this show is going to be based around the Time Variance Authority. Mm-hmm. Definitely trying to fix the problems that were created by one Loki. Yeah, because they bring it up in the trail that just came out about a month or so ago, where you know, hey, you, we were the Time Variance Authority. We, we keep track of time and make sure everything's all hunky dory. Which again. Like I said with the Eternals trailer, where the hell have you been this entire time? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you taking the Tesseract that caused a whole bunch of split-offs in time, and we're going to employ you to fix them. Yes, we do know that Owen Wilson is going to be playing a head agent there. Wow. Mobius M. Mobius wow. is his name. And we do know that this is going to be based around how Loki has to work himself into fixing everything that's going on. Good luck, kid. It, it's absolutely wild to see how this is going to be placing out, but... We do know that it's going to be a time heist in its own right yep. because of everything that Loki has set off. It's now caused different ramifications. So you see him jumping around a lot. You do see that there's other agents, Ravona and Hunter B-15, uh-huh. that are there as well. So he is going to have a team trying to fix the mistakes he's made. Yep. So is this going to be an ultimate redemption story? Probably not. I mean, if it is, it's going to last for all of like five seconds. Yes, because let's face it, it's Loki. It's the god of mischief. I mean, this is what he does. What's the one line they have in the trailer? Like, I've, you've stabbed people in the back like 500 times or something yeah. like that? He's like, I promise, I won't do it again. But this is how this is going to play out. Like, the, t- the, the promotional art for this is very cool. Yeah. It's very trippy. I want to say it does look a little bit in some aspects like Doctor Who. Mm, maybe. And that's just full respect to him. That we do see in one, there's the Miss Minute character. Yep. Which is going to play a factor in there, too. Probably. And it's going to be interesting to see how this all shapes up. So, Pat, just what are your expectations for the show going in? I'm anticipating a lot of shenanigans, a lot of crazy, fun one-liners. I know somebody, I can't remember if it was Hiddleston or producer or director, somebody in the show said that this show will have far-reaching implications for the MCU going forward, and I'm interested to find out what those are. I'm also interested to see where we go through in time because I know there was the one trailer that came out where it appeared that we would be going into the the DB Cooper uh, heist and escape. You know, which if you haven't read that story, read into that, boy, that's a wild story. Mm-hmm. So to see Hiddleston or uh, should I say Loki get involved with that, you know, I'm I'm interested to see where they go. I'm definitely intrigued by this. I know when it was first announced, I was like, okay, how is this going to play out? And when you're dealing with the Time Variance Authority, it's always conflicted. It's sure. always convoluted sure. because once you start dabbling in time travel, stuff gets weird. It's messy. It's always messy. It's never an easy show. We see this all the time with Legends of Tomorrow. We've seen this with Doctor Who at times. And Doctor Who is probably the best one for managing time travel. <coughs> this is going to be complicated when it's all said and done because you're going to have Loki jumping around to key moments in the MCU. I know one that everybody's thinking about is the scene where Black Widow dies mm-hmm. in Endgame. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to say for record, do I think she's coming back? Not in this stage, but I think we'll get some understanding about Scarlett Johansson's possible return in the Black Widow movie when it comes out. In this scenario, I think he might be there, but I think he's also going to run into some other characters. I think that there's a chance that he might run into Lady Loki, mm. which there was a time period in the MCU comics where Loki was a female. Yep. So you might see that happen in there. And most importantly, I think you might see when he was a teenager mm-hmm. because that does tie into Young Avengers, right? which they've been planting seeds throughout all the MCU that that show is eventually coming. Well, we've also heard throughout the various 
instances we've seen him about how much of a pain in the ass he was as a kid. It only makes sense to finally see it. Oh, yeah, I fully believe that. That it's all—it's just about time that he winds up doing that. And like I say, with his history, you never know what's going to happen with Loki. That he's always just somebody that is ultimately out for his own endgame. Yeah. You can spin it however you want. It doesn't matter. That's what makes him a very fascinating character because he could be doing a lot more with his powers than he does. But he is just like to be somebody that ultimately has the end game in his own head of how he wants to play things out. Mm-hmm. And is not afraid to manipulate people against each other. He's definitely not afraid to take some chances. They can definitely do a lot of very interesting things with him. So however they want to go with the direction of this is anybody's guess. But like I say, for being an Asgardian, he definitely has a lot of power to him. Uh-huh. But he's always just somebody that likes working behind the scenes. Like He is always somebody that is playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers. And to see how he's working over the time variance authority, too, as it appears... Yeah, is really interesting because they have to pull him back to fix all the problems he did. I thought that was very interesting that they're going to go that route with him because I didn't think they were going to. Yeah. But the fact they're going to make him an agent and they're trying to put some trust in him proves that, one, they don't pay attention to their own timeline. Nope. And, two, this makes for some fantastic television. They don't know him very well, do they? Right, because I think he knows that he does not survive Infinity War. Yeah. That this has now come into play that he knows that he is on borrowed time, no pun intended. How does he keep outrunning the clock? We always talk about in sports about how Father Time catches up with every athlete. Uh Father Time is undefeated, but how is Loki still staying out of that grasp? That's going to be the big thing, too, because what he's ultimately looking is, after I fix everything here, I go back to the timeline where I'm gone. How do I avoid this? What do I need to do? Cut a deal. You do, I'm not doubting it's going to happen. And no, we're not going to see Mephisto in there before anybody tweets that out. Damn. We're not going to have Omit. Please, if we have Omit in this show, I'm going to go freaking crazy on on social media. It's not going to be anything pretty. I cannot stand that st- Spider-Man storyline. It's one of my least favorite from him, and I bear no shame about saying how much I hate that, along with the Clone Saga. Enough said. But for this show, the the you know the expectations are high. Oh, yeah. Because the show's how, I mean, you take a look at everything that's been done there, Pad, and we know we got coming up What If, so that'll be the little break in the action, so to speak. Yep. Even though it's going to be animated, it's yep. still going to be something to watch. After that, we got Miss Marvel coming. Mm-hmm. We have Hawkeye, which I believe has just finished filming. If not, they're close to it, yeah. They're close to. She-Hulk is kicking off yep. 2022. Yep. Moon Knight is coming right after. Uh-huh. And then we start getting into more projects lined up Yeah. that are going to carry us through. So Loki is definitely going to be involved. When you're talking about time travel, is it possible we might have a Kang the Conqueror reference? Mm, doubt it. I say maybe. Like That's going to be kind of my leap for the show. That I know that he's slated to appear in Ant-Man Quantumania. But I think until then, they might tease around that somebody's jumping around through time as well. And Kang would be a, a perfect foil to set that up for, just foreshadowing his appearance. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see about it. <laughs> But going into this, we've seen the trailers, so final expectations on the show, Pat. I'm expecting a lot of craziness and zaniness. I mean, listen, it's Tom Hiddleston. They announced this. I said, give it to me. You know, Hiddleston's awesome. Uh, I'm expecting a lot of one-liners because, let's face it, you give Tom Hiddleston enough time to be on screen as Loki, he's going to ham it up. And it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I fully think that, too. I know that it's been kind of rumored about they're going to do a second season. That it should be pretty interesting yeah, if, if, they, if they try. I mean, it's already in development is the rumor that's going around. But until I get some some real official confirmation, I don't know if we'll have the same 
show, though, continu- continuing over. Sure. I think, though, this might be the end of the road for Tom Hiddleston. Maybe. I think this will be his swan song, and then they'll morph Loki into a different version, whether it's a female or whether it's kid Loki. Or maybe it's a horse. Well, you know what? Everybody's been talking about Thor Frog yeah. for the longest time. Yeah. And I tell you what, I would have no problem with that on What If. Yeah. Live action might be a little tough. Yeah, that's a lot of CGI, and that gets a little expensive. Yeah, so I'm saying it's not out of the realm of thought, but if they want to do a little animated style with it, I'm okay with it. But I think, though, this is going to be the end of the road for Tom Hilson. And you know what? If they bring him back, I'm not objecting to him. He's no, done a fantastic God, no. He's done a fantastic job in this role. There's nothing you can say about this that he hasn't really done. I'm just saying for everybody that's saying, okay, about the season two, yeah, it's already written. It is, maybe. And I know there's a lot of heavy speculation. Yeah, I don't think so. I think they got to wait and see. Yeah, I think so too. But I'm not sure that they don't have an outline done. Because everyone, everyone's saying, oh, every show is going to get a second season. Slow your roll. Not the case. Exactly. WandaVision we know is not coming back. Nope. And I'm okay with that. Falcon and Winter Soldier. Maybe. To be determined. Because they do have Joaquin Torres that could step in the role as a Falcon with Bucky Barnes. That definitely is on the table. But they do have some options if they want to try doing sequels. I mean, that's the overall theme that we're saying. I don't think it's going to happen with everyone, no. but with Loki, they could do it, but it depends on what variation they want to do. And like I say, now that you're throwing in that element of time travel, it could go a lot of different directions. Uh-huh. Either way, we get this next Wednesday as we are recording. We are excited about it because that will actually just t- coincide to the time we release the next ODPH pod entertainment edition. So we'll definitely be reviewing it on there. But until then, we have one week to get our predictions in. So we definitely want to get them in for you. What is your predictions about Disney Plus's Loki? Are you excited or are you not? And what do you expect to see happen there? Let's have that discussion on social media. You can find us on Twitter at OD Parlay Hour or just head on over to ODPHpodcast.com and join in there on whichever social media platform you want. Let's talk about Loki, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Wine, Dine, and Storytime. I'm Nidia. I'm Dana. I'm Cindy. And we're your hosts. Have you ruined a family gathering by asking what wine pairs well with eating a husband? Are you the CEO of TMI? Have you ever been kicked under the table because you brought up your favorite dinner topic, atrocities throughout history? Then this podcast is perfect for you. Each week, Dana and I share stories based on topics that include true crime, historical shenanigans, unexplained mysteries, and all things fascinating, while our amateur chef Cindy prepares themed dinners and pairs wines based on those topics. Find us, the Wine, Dine, and Storytime podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and give us a follow. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got for those one shots? Got a couple things to talk about first. Uh, things to talk about. First of which is uh, pre-orders are up for the upcoming Pokemon uh, remake of Diamond and Pearl Edition. Okay. That is Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. They are 3D remakes of Pokemon Diamond and Pearl, as I mentioned, uh, which originally came out on t- in 2006 for the Nintendo th- uh, DS. Uh, so highly anticipated. A lot of people excited for it. I know my girl, uh, girlfriend Liz Bailey included. Uh, shout out to her. Uh, no word yet what you'll get with the pre-orders, if anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely stay tuned to, to your local sites or even your local retailers uh, to get that information uh, for when it comes out. But as of right now, nothing announced yet. But okay. definitely check out that. I uh, got a bit of a spoiler-free review to talk about because uh, last weekend, uh, my girlfriend and I did watch the new Disney film Cruella. Okay. Which is, of course, the prequel uh, about the um, 
Cruella Deville uh, villain, as you've seen in various incarnations of uh, animation and live action, uh, starring Emma Stone as uh, the title role of Cruella, and then also co-starring Emma Thompson as the Baroness, who is the foil to uh, our main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, awesome should note, awesome note, uh, Glenn Close was an executive producer on this film. Oh, okay, that's so cool. So, of course, she did play Cruella in the live-action 101 and 102 Dalmatians film. So I thought that was kind of cool that she's included. Yeah, that's in very dope. Uh, spoiler for your view. Definitely a good movie. You know, my girlfriend who has seen, I believe, all of the live action movies they've put out thus far. I haven't. She, I was running through an account in my head before we recorded. I'm pretty sure she's seen all. You know, she's seen Beauty and the Beast with Emma Watson. She's seen the Maleficent films. We've seen Christopher Robin together. We saw Dumbo. You know, we saw Lion King. So I'm pretty sure she's seen all of the more recent live action animated or remake Disney films. She said this was the best one. And I, from the ones I've seen, I have to agree with her. Uh, it definitely builds into kind of the how Cruella is the way she is and why she got the way she was. And it's and it's a fun watch. Emma Stone kind of grows in she doesn't start out as Cruella. Mm-hmm. She kind of grows into that role. She grows into that role and my God, when she goes full tilt into Cruella, it is one of the best performances I've ever seen as Cruella. Okay. So definitely, you know, check it out at your local theater uh, near you. If you if your local theater isn't open for whatever reason, it's on Disney Plus for $30. It's one that, like, if you're amping up to see it and you've got the $30 to pay to see it on Disney Plus because you can't see it at your theater, if you've got the $30, definitely pay the $30 to see it. I'm not saying go pay $30, go see it. But if you have the means to do so and you have the extra cash laying around just to spend, do so. But if you don't want to pay the $30 to see it on Disney Plus and theaters aren't open in your area, uh, it will be hitting Disney Plus for everybody. I believe it's like August 22nd of this year. Okay. But once it comes time, definitely check it out because I cannot recommend this movie enough. Uh, currently on IMDb, it has a 7.4 out of 10, and that's with uh, 27,000 people voting. Uh, and then over on Rotten Tomatoes, it currently has a, a uh, there it is, a 74% tomato meter. That's uh, out of 299 reviews. Audience score with more than 25,000 plus verified ratings has an audience score of 97%. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I could definitely see the fans being more into it. And it's always tricky when you do a prequel story like that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool to see that it panned out. Like I said, yeah. for me, it's not my cup of Java. Sure. But... I'm not hating on it. Sure. It's just something that it didn't grasp me right away, yeah. but it de- it definitely looked interesting. Yeah. And so I, it's cool to hear that it was yeah, actually good. Yeah, it's a good movie. And I got to say, uh, Emma Stone did an interview where she thinks that Disney should do a live-action uh, prequel movie for Ursula from The Little Mermaid. And I thought about that. I'm like, yeah, that, I'd be down for that. Well, I think that if Cruella takes off at the box office, then that's something to open the door for it. Yeah, could be. Uh, switching over to some Marvel news, uh, we found out uh, just the other day from a uh, social media post from one Chris Hemsworth that Thor 4 has wrapped filming and the way in which he did it my god this dude is jacked Jesus Christ this man has got pythons on pythons uh, how was it what was it Hulk Hogan said 23 20 inch pythons brother 20, yeah 24 inch pythons I know he's uh, playing Yo. him in the biofilm I think that maybe he's still got that workout he looks Yo. absolutely jacked in this because in this photo you see Taika Waititi in his gear to play Korg so Korg's in the movie awesome to see very cool but Fat Thor is gone jacked Thor is back and my god he is bigger than he has ever been in any of these films yeah, no, he looks absolutely massive. Good God. Seriously, like that forearm is like 
Uh, Chris, if you can send us the workout regimen, I'd be interested to know. Uh, uh, I want to read it, and I'm going to start crying because I know I'll never be on that level. <laughs> I know. Uh, movie drops, of course, on May twenty, on May 6th, 2022, and, of course, stars uh, Hemsworth and Watini, alongside Natalie Portman, Chris Pratt, Tessa Thompson, and Christian Bale as the villain Gore, the God Butcher. Uh, switching over to some more Marvel news. Uh, kind of related with, with uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, Emma Stone, of course, doing the rounds uh, for Cruella, did and was talking to MTV News. Uh, and they, of course, she did play Gwen Stacy in the Amazing Spider-Man series. And, of course, since everyone and their mother is rumored to be in Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, she was asked, "Is are you, oh, you going to be in Spider-Man No Way Home? Uh, and she said, I'm not. She ruled it out and uh, returning as Gwen Stacy, to which I said, no shit, Sherlock. She's dead. Yeah. So no surprise there. I'm not crying a river about it because I don't like the character Gwen Stacy. It's nothing I'm glad, against Emma I'm glad they took the risk they did in the in the first movie. Oh, I, when they did number two? Yeah, when they actually did the bridge scene? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, and I was actually marking out about it. The, the fact they took the risk and they did it. Yeah. I have just never been a Gwen Stacy guy. Yeah. I never have. I'm Team MJ all day. I mean, I'm, I, I'm a fan of the different take they did in the Ultimate Spider-Man universe because she wasn't, she was like the polar opposite of how she is from the original comics. Mm-hmm. So I was a fan of that, but no, I mean, no surprise, you know. But then again, I know people who go, oh, well, time travel, they could still get her been there well, before she died. Yeah, but I doubt it. You know, at this stage, Gwen Stacy, no. Ghost no. Spider, Yes. Yes. Anytime you want to bring her in, I'm yeah. I'm completely. And also, down with not it. to knock Emma Stone, you know, their performance wasn't really all that, you know, resonating with folks. Like to this day, people still talk. Like for as many issues as the original Spider-Man movies had, hi, I'm looking at you, number three. <sighs> people still talk about that upside-down kiss scene between MJ and Peter. That like it's been 20 years later, I think. That I think this year make marks 20 years. Yeah. The 20 years later. People still talk about that that scene. There's a lot of upside to the Sam Raimi two and a half. Yeah, because there's only about a half good thing in my opinion about Spider-Man three, mm-hmm. and it's and it's a minimal. It's the dancing, isn't it? Jesus, Mary and Joseph, where do we go from there? Um, <laughs> but no, one and two is phenomenal. Oh one God. and two said said the benchmark of how movies should be done. Two is uh, two is a better movie than one in my opinion. However, three is a train wreck in my esteemed opinion. Yeah. And I have zero love for Andrew Garfield skateboarding as Peter Parker yeah. and doing all that nonsense yeah. in the other two. Yeah. I'm not there. I'm sorry. I checked out because they were not good films in my opinion. I am not a fan of them. I don't preach about it. Garfield's on the bottom of my list. I don't mm-hmm. care if I ever see him back in a suit. Yeah. Nothing against him. He's gone on to do bigger and better things. So I bought the first one on DVD when it came out because I genuinely enjoyed the film. Did not buy the second one. No, I mean, I remember arguing with people when I got out of the first one because I saw the I saw the second one in theaters. I don't think I've seen it start to finish since. I've I flipped through channels, you know, when it was on TV rotation fairly regularly, and I'd catch a scene or two, but I've never sat down start to finish and watch the whole thing. Yeah, since I saw it in theaters, is it's just not for me. And like I said, I remember arguing with people when I got out of the theater because everyone's like, "Oh, what you think?" And they're like, "How dare you bash it?" I'm like. It wasn't good. No, it wasn't. I'm sorry. No. Like you, no. If you want an opinion, I'll give you my opinion. But it wasn't good. And then Tom Holland has just resurrected that franchise on his back. Uh huh. He's doing a lot of work for everybody. We yeah, all should be is. thanking him. Yeah, he is. Uh, sticking with the Marvel news, uh, it was confirmed by the folks over at the Hollywood Reporter that Denai Guerrera is uh, reprising her role as Okoye in both the upcoming Disney Plus Black Panther spinoff series and the feature film uh, sequel Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. So awesome to see! She's hell played, yeah. She's played the role uh, in every film the character has appeared in, so it's always good to see Denai Guerrera uh, reappear in the MCU. Facts down for that. Yeah, and then uh, there is apparently a plan for connecting the 
the Sony's Spider-Man universe. God, this is confusing to the MCU. Uh, and it's, it's, listen, it's going to get really tangled and really confusing. Uh, reading from an article on IGN.com, uh, Sony executive, uh, Sanford Panich has indicated that Spider-Man No Way Home will kick off a shared Marvel universe. Speaking to Variety, Panich, the president of the Sony Pictures Motion Picture Group, appeared to confirm that, quote, there is actually a plan to connect Sony's Spider-Man universe to the MCU, with Spider-Man 3 possibly opening the door for Peter Parker's alter ego to swing between movies and tangle with different characters as part of a shared Marvel universe. Uh, saying, quote, there, is a, there actually is a plan. I think now maybe it's getting a little more clear for people where we're headed, and I think when No Way Home comes out, even more will be revealed. Uh, close quote. So, again, not the most surprising thing in the world. I mean, given the fact of No Way Home, Doctor Strange is involved, you know, time travel's involved, there's rumors of every character known to, in a, to God and man from the previous two franchises are rumored to be in the damn film. Not a surprise that, you know, this is going to lead to them having the way to have him go back and forth between films. Not surprised at all. And you know what? It's smart business. Because here is the thing. Fans want to see characters cross over. You want butts in the seats at the theaters. you got to be willing to share and play ball. Yep. And especially when we're talking Spider-Man and Venom. Mm-hmm. Everybody else that Sony has under contract right now is not a needle mover, in my opinion. God, no. To that level. You get Spider-Man and Venom to play nice in the MCU. Yeah. You have a lot of crossover appeal. We just wrapped up King in Black. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of ways to go with this. The only needle mover I would say that's in the Spider, the Sony Spider-Man universe is Jared Leto. Just from a, ooh, Jared Leto's in a, in a, in a, in a but for a lot of people, myself included, Spider-Man ain't involved. I don't give a shit. Well, that's the whole thing. With, with Morbius, listen, it is either going to be one of two things. Bad it, or awful. It's going to be hot garbage or it's going to be tolerable. I'm hoping to be surprised. I really am. But I'm not setting the bar that high. No. Morbius is a tough character to do as a movie leading person. He's only had a chance in the comics a little bit, had some success here and there in a solo series, but to find success. Mm-hmm. And I and I granted, when he had his series that came out at a different time, I get that because that was during the Midnight Suns of the 90s different era than right now because if honestly if a book goes past like 24 issues at marvel it's like a yeah. win-win these days yeah because they like to reboot often not hating on marvel i read marvel but i'm just saying for now if they can pull it off with morbius yeah jared leto is going to help a lot but is it enough to make him a marquee player jury is still out yeah but this is all win-win if sony and marvel can work together because like we say you put all those characters together in movies guess what everybody wins because everybody goes yeah. Enough said there. Yeah. Uh, switching over to some Game of Thrones news. Uh, it was revealed in an interview uh, with the Times London that Sean Bean recently learned how the series ended. And so, of course. Really? Yeah. Sean Bean somehow, now, I don't find this entirely surprising. He's a busy individual. He's always in stuff. You know? I'll give you that. Uh, be it on stage, on TV, or in film. Busy dude. Uh, he, of course, as a lot of folks remember, uh, played Ned Stark uh, in season one of Game of Thrones. And spoiler alert, although, let's face it, it's been however long. Uh, mm-hmm. Ten years, actually. Ten years uh, this year. Uh, 
was killed off in season one. Uh, he did not stay up on the news of what was going on in Westeros and the uh, following six, six, seven, whatever it is, seasons. So he did an interview with the Times London, and uh, he learned how the series ended, and he gave a bit of a approval. Uh, the, in the, in the interview, uh, the, the interviewer described how the series concluded and spoiler alert, uh, what happened with Ned's son, Bran being crowned the King of Westeros and, uh, his daughter Sansa becoming the queen of the North. Uh, he then asked, so did Winterfell stay separate? Oh yeah, they did. Uh, Sean Bean said, oh, good for them. Close quote. So how he, as big as the show was, and let's face it, it, it kind of crossed pop culture and became the thing that everyone was talking about. Whether you were an avid watcher or you just kind of watched it casually, everyone was talking about it. It was all over the internet. You know, a lot of reaction videos to a lot of episodes, a lot of speculation, a lot of theories, you know, a lot of videos. The fact that he had managed to stay spoiler free from how it ended, kudos to you, sir. Yeah, but you know, at the same token, he might have just been like, my character's killed off. I don't want to have buyer's remorse and miss what I'm not part of. So it might have been too painful for him to watch it. Yeah. Which I could understand. I mean, that turned into be TV's biggest show for a quick hiccup. Yeah. So I could understand that. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we got some surprising news that apparently Joker 2 is happening. Uh, from, uh, <laughs> where it's going to be written and uh, by the uh, director, uh, Todd, Todd Phillips. Phillips. Yeah. So a little surprised by this. You know, I kind of figured it'd be a one and done. I But I could also see how they, leave, they left room to do a sequel if they really wanted to. But I'm a little surprised by this. Okay. So this one, I definitely, I don't know how I think about it. Sure. Because there's only so much you can do in this universe per se. Right. All right. So we we did a loose interpretation of Killing Joke for the movie. Mm-hmm. It's very polarizing amongst fans. Some people love it. Some people absolutely hate it. Right. So now you're bringing back Joaquin Phoenix for this character. The question is, where do you go from here? Right. Now, in my opinion, I think they would be smart to do the Brian Azzarillo Joker story. And if you do that because it's a self-contained Joker story. Right. That would make a lot of sense to do. If you're going to do anything else, I don't know because at this stage, like, where do we go from here? Like, it, it should have been a one and done. Yeah. Unless you're going to try doing a Batman story, but I don't know how that's going to mesh. Yeah. Like, I just, I got a lot of questions about it because, like, for me, I don't, I didn't get up from seeing Joker and say, I need to see a a sequel. Like, I I can't wait to see this again. Right. Like, I took it for what it was. And it, like I say, I did like the movie. I took it for what it was where you just you took a journey through a mentally unstable man's mind mm-hmm. and just saw how the ramifications went yeah that was what it was like I, I took the performance for what it is and then didn't go like wow I need to see this again right so it's definitely not one of those movies that like once you see it and you sit through it's not like oh hey why don't I just casually on a Friday night pop this movie in yeah it's it's not one of those movies no it's definitely not like no. I mean it was a very dark and captivating performance. Yeah. But it still was a very disturbing film in a lot of aspects. Yeah. So yeah. so the fact we're going for round two, um, I need more details before I make a judgment, but I'm telling you right now, I'm not exactly like take my money now. Yeah, I got I to gotta wait and see something. Uh, and then uh, it was announced in an exclusive from the folks over at Deadline that starting next week over in the UK, 
Indiana Jones 5 will begin filming. Of course, uh, Harrison Ford will be reprising his role as the title character of one Indiana Jones. It will also be starring uh, Mads Mikkelsen, who you know from a whole bunch of things. Oh, yeah. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Boyd Holbrook, uh, Seanette Renee Wilson, and then Thomas uh, Kretschmann, uh, who was in Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, so I am super excited for this. Uh, the director of Logan, James Mangold, is uh, taking over the directing reins from Steven, okay. Steven Spielberg, which, listen, I would prefer Spielberg. Spielberg's a great director, but hey, I, uh, Mangold did Logan, and Logan is one of, if not the best comic book movie of all time. I trust his work. So I'm yeah. super excited for this. I'm not excited about the franchise. I know you're a big fan about it yeah. at this stage. Like, listen, I, well, I listen, just, we don't talk about four. Yeah, I was going to say. We don't talk about four. Four, four was not good. Four, four, their four's got its, it's got a couple moments, but yeah, we don't talk about it. Yeah, we don't talk about it. So, like I say, for me, I'm not super gassed up to see four, like, or five. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not excited. Like, I mean, the the hardest thing is going to be for me to believe is to believe any sort of stunt Harrison Ford pulls off at his age of like late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, like, I'm sorry. That's the only thing I got a hard time believing. I just saw Sting wrestling AEW, and I was cringing. I don't want to see what Harrison Ford's doing pushing see, 80. Well, and, the, and the thing that kind of disappointed it for me was, I forget what it was, but there was something back in, like, the early 2000s where George Lucas was getting honored or Spielberg was getting honored. I forget which one it was. And Harrison Ford was there because he's been in a lot of their movies. And he made the comment, hey, if we're going to get started on the Indiana Jones sequel, we need to get going. You know, Sean Connery's only getting, God rest his soul, mm. Sean Connery's not getting any younger. And that got me amped because I love Indiana Jones 3, especially with Sean Connery appearing to play his father. Yeah. And I, w- I was all sorts of amped up to see them on screen together because they they got great, they had great chemistry together. Oh, yeah. So for them to, because there was a, there is a script out there that was considered for Indiana Jones 4, but they chose to go another direction with it. I would have loved to see uh, Sean Connery play the role again, but alas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then lastly, some unfortunate news. It was announced today by the folks over at Sony that the God of War sequel uh, to the 2018 uh, popular game, great game I played, uh, titled God of War Ragnarok, is being uh, pushed to a 2022 release window, uh, and they confer- Sony confirmed it will come out both on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. Uh, unfortunate news, disappointing news, but kind of saw it coming because when the game was announced it they didn't give a date it just said 2021 and well nothing's come out about it since mm-hmm. not even uh screenshots of what it looks like we see a lot of times and we're halfway through the year so i kind of in plus with horizon zero dawn uh the sequel to horizon zero dawn 2 i'm forgetting the name of, of, of it uh coming out in this winter, there was no way they were going to put out two of their AAA title games the same year in the same time of year. So I, I figured this would get delayed. Smart business. Yeah. Not, not super. I mean, I'm bummed out about it, but I'm yeah. not like super like. Okay. Just it just gives folks more time to go play God of War one because holy shit that game's awesome. Yes, just saying. Uh, and then switching over to my comic picks of the week, uh, Amazing Spider-Man issue number sixty-seven. Uh, listen, Nick Spencer's still writing. Enough said. Uh, then you got Batman issue number one, uh, one Oh nine, uh, coming out this week for, oh, from James Tynan, uh, Batman, the adventure continues season two issue number one. Uh, so this is of course the continuation of the animated series right which, on, uh, season one, I guess, I guess they're doing seasons. It's weird, but it took, it took such a hiatus. I was like, what the hell is going on with this comic? And then they finally came out with this. I'm like, oh, sweet. Sign me up. So I'm definitely all sorts of amped up and excited for this. Uh, and then you've got Batman Catwoman issue number five. Lesson Mask of the Phantasm is on the cover. You have me sold. Yeah, I know. It looks fantastic. Cannot wait. Uh, and then you've got Justice League issue number 62. 
That is something very cool at the lineup, too. I mean, Justice League is always a solid pick. A lot of Batman this week. Yeah. Which, I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. No. I'm just saying. Including Batman Fortnite. Oh, boy. Yeah. I can't even get into that. Like, nope. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm if not, you're into it, cool. Yeah, I mean, that's you. Do you. I am not mad at anybody about it. I'm not going to sit there and say, like, okay, if you play Fortnite, it is what it is. I'm sorry. Like, it just it doesn't do anything it's for not me. not our cup of tea. It doesn't move the needle. Uh, so I got a couple comic picks to throw in as well. Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters. Yeah. So you know my man Boba Fett's on the cover. Yeah. That was enough for me. And also this week is the Met. I keep on saying the MetLife Gala. It's, <laughs> the, it's a Hellfire Gala. Yeah. So this is the big event that's going on in the X-Men universe now. Yeah. So this is one that you've seen a lot of promotional art for, that everybody looks like they're dressed up for the MetLife Gala, which you've seen yep. it's a lot of high fashion. Yep. It's, it's a lot of various different things going on with this for the gala. So this is a very cool event to see in the X-Men's universe. Yeah. And then, I mean, obviously there's going to be some fallout happening from this. I mean, most notably, this is a, was leading into the trial of Magneto. Mm-hmm. So something happens here, and they're revisiting that story. I mean, obviously that's an older one from the X-Men uh, history books there. I want to say issue 200. Yeah. So not sure how this is going to play out. But we did get a little more clarification on what Jonathan Hickman is going to be up to. Okay. So uh, we know that there was a secret project he had coming out later this year, and it was untitled. Uh, according to our friends over at IGN, it is going to be Inferno. Hmm. Now, Pat, are you familiar with this storyline? Uh, nope. Okay, so long story short, think if Gremlins involved mutants. Yikes. The movie. Yikes. So this was something when they dealed with uh, Madeline Pryor. Do you know who she is? Yes. Okay. She became the Goblin Queen of Limbo, and it just went over all types of crazy with demons invading mm-hmm. and it just was completely batshit crazy for, oh, the, yeah. for the lady. Yeah. I am not a fan of this crossover. Okay. By any means. Like it was okay. it's not one of my favorite X-Men stories of all time. So I don't know what's going to go on with this. I thought it was very interesting they're bringing back the names of old X-Men stories. I mean obviously we know Trial Magneto and Inferno, but with Hickman involved, who knows what it's gonna be. It's gonna be crazy. I mean, it's kind of rumored that Moira McTaggart might be tagged with this to with going on with what she's been doing behind the scenes of Kuroka. So this is all just, like I say, speculation. So I'm not sure if this is going to be, like I said, I'm reading right from IGN about this. And if she's involved, you know that this is going to be something crazy about the next stage of Kuroka and the mutant empire that we know right now. Right. So I'm definitely excited to check it out. I have no idea how this is going to shape up. Yeah. And then also, Marvel hit us with some more news. Now, we do have two new books coming out later this year Mm -hmm. that we have very, very familiar creative teams on them and kind of a little switcheroo of uh, writers. Okay. So we have a new Venom book coming out. Mm. Now, Pad, do you want to take a guess? Who would be involved with this? Now, we do know Donny Cates is leaving. Yep. So he's ruled out. Yep. Who do you think is taking over the role? Uh, I have no idea. Al Ewing Ooh. and Rom V. Okay. With Brian Hitch. Long as they're not drawing. taking long as they're not taking Spencer off of Spider-Man. No, Spencer, as far as I know, is not slated to be Good. taken off, but this is going to be dealing with the new stage in Venom, because like I said, this is the fallout yep. from the King and Black crossover, yep. Yep. which yep. let me tell you this. If you haven't read King and Black, holy batshit crazy that was. Fantastic though. Love that series. But this is going to be interesting. They do show a new costume for Venom, as I'm showing Pad right now. 
So Ooh, it's okay. gonna be very interesting, kind of kind of a very modern take on the Venom costume without making a completely Spider-Man ripoff. Right. So this should be very interesting when this happens. And like I said, you gotta keep an eye out for it because it will be coming a little later this year. So that means okay, well, Donny Cates obviously has left his footprint in on Venom. He's on to something else. I know he teased on Twitter this morning that there was something new coming out. Hmm. And we did get that in the form of he is now taking over the Incredible Hulk. Oh, jeez. So the Immortal Hulk is wrapping up at issue 50, I believe. So he is taking over with Hulk, and he has a partner in crime that you are very familiar with. Yep. That a lot of Invincible fans are very, very familiar with. Some I can't wait to hear Lex and Simon from the Wednesday Pull List have something to say about this. Ryan Otley is going to be doing the artwork on the book. Wow. The cover looks fantastic. So, uh, listen, if you're going to be taking over the Immortal Hulk, which, listen, was arguably Marvel's best comic for a good stretch of time, always solid, completely yeah. creative take on him. Like I say, however you write the Hulk, he should be kind of written in a horror vein, and I think that really deals with it. But, listen, Donny Cates taking this book over. All bets are off on how absolutely fucking wild this is going to be. Mm-hmm. Because I will tell you what, this had better be on your pull list ASAP so you yeah. don't miss an issue when this comes out because this is going to be a no-brainer. And definitely want to shout out our guy Brian from Shirts of Comics and Ryan from Cosmic Campfire. They're teaming up to do like a Wednesday uh, new release thing on Facebook. Okay. So it's like a joint uh, crossover uh, episode. It's going to be on their Facebook page for Cheers to Comics, so you definitely want to check that out. We're going to share it on the ODPH page, and I definitely want everybody to interact because those guys love to talk comics. They're great about talking, and they can definitely sell the points home about what you should be picking up at your local comic shops because you should be down there every week supporting them because they are the backbone of what makes comics great, folks. So definitely want to go check that out. That all being said, Pat. The music you heard on this episode of the ODPH podcast is that of Shout at the Robots. They're Uh fantastic people. I really like those guys a lot. Pad, where do I go to find out more about Shout? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the music section. You find everything going on with them. Tom Jolo, whose new album you can sign up for right now, Get Twilight Zone, which is the song of the summer, hands down at TomJolo.com. You can find the links right there. You can check out everything going on with Second Suitor, who's got brand new merch out, which looks absolutely dope as always. You can check out everything going on with Floodlands, who is rumored to be kind of signing up for some tour dates. I don't know what's going on there, but you can definitely check that out. And, of course, our good friend Brian Wolf. He's got a lot of stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, he does. Brian's got a lot of stuff. One of the hardest-working people in Austin, Texas, folks. So if you're in that Texas area, you should go check him out. He does a lot of great work. Yard Party, too. Like, definitely shout out everybody that is gracious enough with your music to give us to play here on the ODPH podcast. But while you're at the website, swing on over to the directory where you can check out friends of the show, such as Dragon Master Games, the Mortal Kombat Compendium, which is coming out. Yeah. Which, if you haven't seen, the Kickstarter is going live. And if you are a Mortal Kombat fan, you need to get on board right now. You need this in your system. Links are right there. You can also check out organizational links for supporting Black Lives Matter. You can also check out all the amazing pod groups we are in. Shout out to the Apocalypse. Shout out to Inner Circle. And of course, shout out to 607 Podcasts and our good, good, good friends. The family over here at 607 Podcasts. Rich, Ron, Mike, C, and hashtag Big Natty Cool. Still on Twitter, Pat. Lord have mercy. Those are our guys over at 8122 Productions. You want to find out everything going on with their Patreon, and you should because you get not only 3FN early, uncooked, uncut, and uncensored, and all the diesel you can handle, you get Horizon 607 early now. 
with Mike C back in studio. Uh huh. That's a fun, fun listen. If you have, if you're into horror movies, you need to check that out. You can sign up for that. And of course, there are two exclusive movie or shows which I can talk about. One, which is I love movies, and the other one which I can't talk about because we'll get kicked off our provider, and that's Love Is Scary. You can find out all of that for one dollar. And over at patreon.com slash a one dude production. Shout out to those guys, man. They're doing a lot of big things over there. And especially you can find out all the links going on with twitch.tv slash seven podcast because we got a lot of stuff going on this week. And you can also check out the T Public store, which has the hottest shirt in independent podcasting, mm-hmm. selling out all over the place. Shout out to everybody who's been picking up the Parlay Club shirt. You know that's what you want to be rocking this summer. Just saying. All that and so much more can be found at odphpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one only Paddle 1J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. Task in hand, the making of a man.